Welcome everyone to episode 183 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Jamie Barton and Rahul Mohan Kumar as we discuss what business, if any, Liverpool should do in the January transfer window. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So the window is open. It obviously opened on New Year's Day. Liverpool are top of the Premier League, three points clear of Aston Villa, but they have the chance to strengthen this month and really sort of bolster their squad heading into the second half of the season and try and lay down a little bit of a marker at the same time. We've seen them make major signings in the past couple of years. Luis Diaz obviously arriving in 2022, really energised that season. Cody Gakpo coming in last year. It took a little bit longer to make an impact but really established himself as we got towards the end of that campaign. So today we're going to question whether they need to make another big signing again this year, make it three in as many years. We won't get into possible targets too much. We're more just looking at types of player and specifically what position Liverpool should be looking at um, this month if they are to do any business. So it is going to be sort of a a broader conversation like that. Um, I'm going to start by sort of playing devil's advocate, and I'll come to you first, Jamie. Um, Like I mentioned a few moments ago, Liverpool are top of the table. They've got Thiago to come back. They've got Stefan Bicetic, who was so impressive um, at the beginning of this year, to come back still. Robertson, who's been out since October, is on the comeback trail as well. On that basis, and given how well they're doing, do they really need to bring in anyone else this month? Um. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because, look, if, if, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, I thought we were, we were lacking. Um, but the way things have panned out, and obviously we're only halfway through, there are a number of players who, especially I think in defence, where we've got more than maybe I expected from them. And so there's the kind of the younger kind of players like Gerald Kwanzaa, who I didn't really factor in at all when I was kind of thinking forward to this season. And there's maybe some of the more established players like Joe Gomez who we might have thought had kind of fallen off. Having said that, I think in an ideal world, we do need maybe one more, uh, particularly in that defensive spot. You look at the way the squad's stretched. Simakas is out for a long time now. Matip is obviously out until the end of the season. Uh, Robertson's hopefully on the way back, but it's going to be probably at least another month until he's kind of settled in and, and properly playing again. So I think if we could get our hands on kind of one sort of versatile defender who might be able to cover a number of positions at once, I think that might be a really good, if you had to bring in one, I think I would say, in answer to your question, I think, yes, we should try and do something like that. Yeah, and we'll get into the uh, defensive issue in a, in a bit more detail in a second. Um, I'll come to you first. So Rahul, I mean, from the Liverpool standpoint now, obviously, you know, they've got this cushion at the top of the league. I think everyone's sort of bracing themselves for what Man City are going to do. We know they've got good fixtures. We know Kevin De Bruyne's back. Do you think that FSG should be saying, do you know what? This team is ahead of schedule. We've found ourselves with an opportunity this year to go and win the league that we didn't necessarily expect. We should make the most of it by bringing someone in. Or is that maybe the kind of short-term thinking that isn't actually that sensible? And should they be willing to exercise a bit more patience? Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. Um, while you're you're absolutely right, we've always done a bit of business in the January window. I think the past about four or five years, um, this window is a bit bit trickier in the sense that a lot of our you know obvious shortcomings are there 
not because there'd be long-term shortcomings. So left back, obviously, Robertson's injured. Simicast is out. Very temporary. So Robertson will be back in the next sort of two to three weeks, I think. Um, Simicast, he's got a fracture. So we're looking at, what, six six to eight weeks sort of timeline as well. So again, it's very short-termist. Um, the second bit about that is obviously Salah and Endo to their respective sort of tournaments. Again, how far they go is, is you know, it's not something you can predict. It's, they might come up in the group stages and we see Mo back in two games' time, uh, similar with Endo. So I think what we have to, the only thing we can sort of gauge on what they will do is look historically and what we've done in January windows. And unfortunately for us, it's always, I think, what is not, not the obvious thing. So I think if you look back at the Gakpo signing, I don't think any of us were screaming for a left winger slash a number 10. Even the DR signing, I don't think we were, you know, screaming out for a left winger at the time. Um, so so I think generally while we have done business, it's always been opportunistic business. And if there is something, a deal that, you know, they, they, they think represents value in January or if a rival is sort of stealing a march on someone we're very keen on for the summer, I think we might do something then. Uh, but that's the club's point of view. If you were to ask me, I think exactly as Jamie has said, that it'd be great to get someone maybe who could do the hybrid role. I know we were looking at players in the summer anyways. Someone who could potentially do left centre-back and left-back. Because um, that would be you know a long-term option for us. Um, I think a slightly left-field left um, option, in my opinion, would be maybe to look at someone who can play right wing. Um, just because you know Salah's there again, he's in great nick at the moment. But again, contract situation is there, thereabouts. Do we extend him? Do we not? We've always looked to bolster the attack a season or two before it's actually needed. You know, we replaced Bobby before he was gone, we replaced Sadio before he was gone. Whether it makes sense to look at you know Mo's replacement as 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 little as we want to think about him leaving, I think maybe that that might be something which be uh, a shrewd thing to look at. Yeah, obviously Salah now in, into the last eighteen months of his deal, and it remains to be seen what happens there. It's all a little bit quiet on that front at the moment. Although it's the same with uh, Van Dijk and Trent Alexander Arnold, who are also out of contract in the summer of twenty twenty five. Um. And you're right to mention, obviously, how both of those deals are opportunistic as well. Um, you know, Gakpo and Diaz both being maybe summer targets where they had the chance to bring them in and get, and get a march on the competition there. Gakpo was a surprise. Diaz probably less so, but the fact that Liverpool brought in a left winger when they had, had Sadio Mane was obviously a bit of a shock. And the way it worked out was that Mane ended up playing through the middle. So you very much can't always predict. I mean, even the season before that, when Liverpool brought in um, a couple of centre-backs. You know, everyone thought they would do that, but no one was looking at Ozan Kabak or, or Ben Davis um, in that time period. So both in terms of the position and the actual individual names, it can be someone who just isn't on our radar at the moment. I think we've got to prepare ourselves for that. And that's why it probably makes sense in this episode to not kind of get too much into the individuals who it might be because, you know, only obviously Liverpool know behind the scenes which names are actually on the list. Um, you've both mentioned the defence already, so we should probably start with that. Like you said, Matip out of the season, did his ACL against Fulham. That leaves Liverpool with Van Dijk, um, who's obviously been um, resurgent this season. Um, an injury prone, Ibrahima Canate, and Joe Gomez, who has also been very good, but has been playing left back recently, obviously, and then the inexperienced Kwanzaa as well. 
Um, Jamie, you said before that, and, and Rahul, you agreed in the sense that Liverpool need, ideally, a centre-back who could fill in on the left in the same sort of mould as Gomez. If we're talking, that's sort of the basic profile of the player then, are we looking then at somebody who is basically another Ibrahima Kanate in terms of 40 to 50 million, early 20s, and obviously we know what the key, the key tenets of their skill set are going to have to be in terms of being really good on the ball, strong athletically, um, and also obviously having those defensive fundamentals too. Yeah, I think I think we are. Yeah, um, we're in a bit of an interesting position with the defense at the moment. Where, look, I'm 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 Ibu's biggest fan. I think he's fantastic, but he's been here a while, and he's still not quite nailed down that position as absolutely his own. And and. That's probably mostly down to injuries and kind of coming in and out of the team and maybe losing a bit of momentum at times. But what that does mean is that it's a little easier to pitch to any potential kind of incoming signings. That yes, we've got very, very good options there, but it's not a kind of it's not a locked door. It's not some it's not a club that you're going to come into and you're going to automatically be fourth, fifth choice or whatever. If you if you state your claim and you show what we think you have and what we're spending this amount of money on you for, then there's a real there's a real pathway into the side. And I think sometimes where we've struggled with transfers in the past, Rahul, you mentioned the, the right wing, I think this is absolutely the case there, is is that it's very difficult to kind of pitch to, to any incoming players that they're going to be able to, to, to outplay and even replace the existing players that we've had so much success with. So Ibu's great, but I think... That sort of 40, 50 million mark that you mentioned, Dave, is is achievable to bring in a player of that calibre uh, without them fearing that they're just going to be sat on the bench the whole time. Just uh, just to build on that point, actually, Jamie, David, sorry to, to interrupt, but I think that's why as a club we're always in quite a difficult situation in bringing in players because... You either have someone who's an out-and-out number one for that position. You're talking, a, you know, a Mo Salah, Sadio Mane at the time, a Virgil van Dijk. Or you're trying to bring in someone who, when called upon, is good enough, but is also happy to stay on the bench, which is, you know, it's impossible. Simikas is, is case in point for that. Um, that's that profile of player that we wanted. But at times you have so many people, you know, saying he's not good enough. Or you can't have two Andy Robertsons at, at the club. It just, you know, it just doesn't work. Yeah, and I think in that particular case as well, you've got to obviously have realistic expectations of someone who is second choice in a position. You know, it is inherently going to be a drop-off and, and sometimes the criticism is way over the top. And we've probably seen that in a few areas across the team. I'll stay with you though, Rahul, because, you know, I think, Jamie, it's all decent points, but, you know, we've seen Liverpool have a 20-year-old centre-back who looks like, he can pretty much take every box long term. You know, he's already a strong athlete to probably get better in that regard. Really composed on the ball. Doesn't make too many mistakes defensively whatsoever. He wasn't, I mean, Jamie mentioned how his perceptions have changed since the start of the season. He wasn't someone who was, even though he's in the squad, wasn't really on our radar too much coming back from alone at Bristol Rovers, but has shown huge potential and passed really every test that he's faced up to this point. So do Liverpool need to be wary of blocking his path long term because let's say they do spring you know 50 million on another 22 23 year old that's probably going to be the long-term partner for Canate. you still got Gomez in they still got Van Dyke in there and you start to think well it is door just completely shut now 
or is it the case that hang on you have got to be a little bit more ruthless you've got to bring in someone who's more going to make a stronger immediate contribution than, than Kwanzaa in terms of the season's title race and also has already proven you know maybe at Champions League level or something like that that you know they're ready to deliver elite performances I mean it's, it's very difficult it's difficult in the sense that first of all I think center back is is a very difficult position to buy for I mean you look across the Premier League you know I struggle to think of center back signings that have come and hit the ground running you know United Martinez Varane but both of them of some Champions League pedigree have not you know hit the heights that they were expected to but that's maybe because of the team um, then you look at the younger sort of age group. You look at Colwell, who did really well at Brighton, gone back to Chelsea, struggling to find his feet. Same thing for Body Shield. Um, you know, centre back for a young player, I think, is a very difficult place to be. And we have to strike a balance, which again is a bit of a cop out answer. But I think, yes, we don't want to block Kwanzaa's development. But again, you don't want to place too much pressure on him. We look at Nat Phillips and Reese Williams in the past as well, you know. When we needed them at that time, they they did really well. But I think young centre-backs, they, they, they go peaks and troughs much more than any other position in the team. I think a lot of mistakes are obviously uh, slightly more high, uh, high stakes than possibly a young winger or a young striker. So it's a difficult, it's a very difficult answer. Um, I think the ideal would be what we had before, where we had Joel Massive there, you know, someone who's, you know, possibly on the other side of the hill, wouldn't be too unhappy if he slowly was eased out. Uh, and that's why I think there might be an argument that despite the ACL injury, to have a look where he is in the summer, um, and him and Kwanzaa sort of, uh, sort of, you know, mirror each other in terms of waning him out and Kwanzaa slowly being reintegrated in the team. Again, it's so difficult to say. He's, tw- he's 20 years old. Um, how many 20-year-old centre-backs... You know, you you knew were going to be top, top, top gravy. Virgil van Dijk was nowhere close to that level. He said it himself. Uh, you know, Konate is slightly more ahead in his development, but like you said, not being able to nail down a place, fitness issues. So it's a difficult question. I think the most important thing is we have the numbers when when needed, and currently we do. You know, we've got four top centre backs there. We've got Joe Gomez that needs to come in when he can. Uh, and I think we should definitely not dismiss Joe Martip just because of this injury. Yeah, I think it is such a shame that um, we lost Matip this season just because he, you know, loving like Van Dyke um, and like Gomez, he, he'd struggled last year, but um, was really showing signs of getting back to the best version of himself at, at the start of this season. And... Um, Obviously, unfortunately, he suffered this really serious injury, and that's probably why we're having this conversation. I think the centre back issue was there in the summer. It, it's it's come back now because of that injury. When in reality, it looked like Massive was going to kind of silence the conversation. Um, so that has really dictated the narrative. But I think we should move on now to the midfield, which is obviously a huge area of focus as well. In the summer, we saw a big rebuild in that area. We saw. You know, obviously the Caicedo saga, the attempts to sign Lavia as well, and there was the one who's ended up coming in, and oh, he's obviously now away for the Asian Cup, but he'll be back next month. McAllister will presumably start all the games as other other significant games as the number six in that period, having returned from injury himself. Um, I'll come back to you, Jamie. Have we seen enough from those two players who 
have kind of taken it in turns a little bit, McAllister initially and then Endo in recent times during McAllister's absence. Have we seen enough from those two to suggest Liverpool will be okay until the end of the season? Or should we be saying, hang on, if we bring in a truly elite number six, someone who combines the what McAllister can do on the ball with Endo's maybe defensive speciality, is that the kind of player that could win Liverpool the Premier League this year? <laughs> Uh, I think we've got the kind of players who can win Liverpool the Premier League this year. I really do. I think, look, there, there's there's obviously a conversation to be had in the summer about uh, Endo's age more than anything else because I think he's proven it with his with his ability uh, and potentially whether you want McAllister further forward in a different position or something like that. I think well, these are all conversations that that are worth having. But the crucial thing is in the summer. I think right now we seem well equipped enough. I really didn't think I'd be saying this at the beginning of the season. But we seem pretty well-equipped in that area, uh, barring any sort of very lengthy injuries. And yeah, Endo going away is is a tricky one to navigate. But look, you can't be buying players because someone might be away for six weeks. That, and, and that's something we won't do. Obviously, we won't do that. So I think right now, look, if 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 I'm not going to be complaining if... if uh, I don't know, we signed Moises Caicedo from Chelsea for tuppence. Um, but, look, I, I yeah, I, I'm just going to repeat myself. I, I do honestly think we're fine um, and more than capable, as we've shown so far this season, of having the defensive steal that you get from Endo, uh, not dumbing Endo down because he, he can play forward as well, and also the, the kind of ability on the ball that we saw from McAllister the other night with that wonderful, wonderful through ball to, to Jota before, before the penalty. So, yeah, I, I really didn't expect myself to be saying this, but I, I think we're fine. So definitely leaning more towards a defender being the, the priority in your, in your case then, Jamie. Um, it's interesting to that both of us, Rahola, have spoken about... Um, the combination of what McAllister brings, obviously as a number eight, who's more, you know, he's who's more sort of gifted on the ball than someone like Endo, but doesn't have that same defensive awareness naturally. And you kind of think to yourself, well, hang on, we might have a player in Tiago who can actually do both of those things, who is expected to be back in team training soon. I mean, how much should he influence Liverpool's thinking? Because on the one level, He's obviously a world-class player with a pretty unique and well-rounded midfield skill set, but also everybody knows that there's a strong chance that even if he can kind of get himself to full fitness to be starting games or playing significant minutes off the bench, it might only be three or four matches before he's on the sidelines again. Yeah, and I think I think that's why Thiago has to be viewed as a luxury than more uh, more than a, you know something we build the structure upon. Uh, we don't have to go into the you know the percentage of games he misses. It's it's not a surprise. It's not something new. This was the case. You know it has been the case throughout his career. Um, so I, I think whatever we choose to do, whether in January or the long term, should be with Thiago sort of on the outskirts of it. Um, if he's available, if he can play a part in this season or the next, fantastic. But I think. You know, it's not it's not something we need to hang our hat on because we know what's coming. Do you know Do you know what I mean? Which is actually you know, similar sort of of worries we have with Konasi uh, to go back to the defense. But I think someone else we've forgotten as well that you know possibly plays a bit more of an influence on what we do is um, Bacetich. 
you know, I, it, again, with his age and, you know, the, the, the nature of the injury he has, it's quite an odd injury. I think the noises coming out from people who are talking about it is to do with sort of almost like growing pains. Uh, you know, he's been out for a length of time. I don't know what their plans are for him. Is he the, 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 the person they're, they're hoping will take up that number six role in the long term? And again, similar to how we were discussing about Kwanzaa, by bringing in a number six, would we hinder his development? It's it's very hard to say. Second part of the question is, if, I might be remembering this wrong, but I don't think we bought McAllister to play in that number six, did we? I think we, we, we hope eventually to have him slightly more forward where he played a lot more games for Brighton in the number eight rather than the six. So again, it's difficult. What I would say is that which is almost liberating is in the fact that whoever we sign now, I don't think we'll see them at their best or in the team consistently for another two, three months at the minimum. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we, we just take Endo as a case in point as well. People thought it was really off the pace first few months. He's come up the pace. Coaching has, has taken place and look where he is now. So I think, as Jamie was saying that, I think the squad is in really good nick, which is a good thing. Um, and I think whatever signings we do make, we'll be more looking at the long term. This Liverpool 2.0, what do we see it as, regardless of whether we win the Premier League, regardless of what we do this season, what is the long term outlook of this team? Uh, and that will dictate what we do in midfield as well, I think. Yeah, it very much feels like the club is going to be sort of taking a bit of a backseat and just sort of watching what happens with potential targets. And if they get noises that any of them are available. You feel like they, they will pounce, but yeah. I, su- I suppose the thing that is really difficult to pin down is what exactly that player should be in, in terms of the one that they've got their radar up for. But um, just to finish, Jamie, I, I want to bring Arsenal and Man City into this discussion um, because the landscape of the title race could change based on what they do or what they don't do as Liverpool's, you know, two main rivals. I know Arsenal have had a couple of setbacks recently, but I think everyone still believes that they're a much more serious threat than, than Aston Villa would be. Um, what do you think those two teams might be looking at based on what you've seen from them this season and, and what their weaknesses might be? And say, not to maybe give a bit of a, a spoiler as to your answer, but say Arsenal go out and buy an expensive striker this month, how much would that change your view of what Liverpool need to be doing, if at all? Yeah, so in answer to your first question, I think I think you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head with Arsenal. I think what they need is goals. Um, they haven't, they've been very, very solid this season up until maybe the last couple of games, but they haven't been creating any anywhere near the number of ch- like excellent chances and they haven't been finishing anywhere near enough the, the ones that they do. And so you'd expect them to, to potentially go for a striker. I don't know, we're not going to get into names or anything like that. Uh, you might see maybe Enketia depart uh, as a way of maybe spurring that on. In terms of City, it's it's a little tricky. I don't really know what, what they're going to do because obviously they've got a lot of players out injured and some of the most important players. You'd, you'd maybe even argue they're three or three of their most four, three of their four most important players in Haaland, De Bruyne and John Stones, Rodri being the, the fourth. So in their case, despite kind of maybe their record, I don't know what their record's like in January. I think they would probably just be kind of more focused on getting those names back. Um, in answer to the second half of your question, I think, look, if you're going to try and keep up with 
with rivals spending that that's not how we've ever run the squad and that's not FSG's model if if we we would go bankrupt if we were trying to keep up with Manchester City I think everyone knows that um so I think we really and it's, it's a boring answer but you just got to focus on yourselves don't you? you you just have to kind of absolutely get the squad in good nick I know Klopp's traditionally in the past maybe looked to work with a bit of a squad, smaller squad than he's maybe got now but that's how the game's changing you know five subs that's a, a big thing now and I think Klopp has adapted very, very well to that, and his subs have been excellent this season. And so I think it's just a case of of, of keep going with whatever we've got planned. Because look, it's <laughs> it's working so far, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, Liverpool's depth has been a huge asset to them this season. I think they really, on multiple occasions, won games with fourteen, fifteen players, as opposed to just that starting eleven. Which obviously is again another thing that if you were sort of on the side that Liverpool don't need to do any business, you can point to and say, no, even even if those um, first eleven players fall out of form or they get injured, there's there's perfectly good replacements available. Um, I'll come to you for the absolute last question, then, Rahul. I mean, do you think that this league title? It's obviously quite a reductive way to ask it, but can it be won in this January window? Is there a deal that one of the three teams could do? that would decisively sway in their favour? Is it much more likely to be whether the manager's in question? And obviously, you know, players coming back, players being informed, things like that. But is it going to hinge on really what happens on the field as opposed to what they can do in terms of adding new faces? I think, um, again, I mean, to be boring, I think Jamie's said it exactly there. I think in terms of us and City, I, I don't think personnel are the problem. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they fit. Everyone's waiting on Kevin De Bruyne's return. Uh, you know, when I I think he's had come off a really bad injury, a hamstring injury, or that uh, to to expect him to hit the ground running. You know, I may maybe I, I look foolish, but I I think I think it's uh, less likely than a lot of people think. I think Guardiola and City are more in a transitional season than a lot of us maybe are giving them credit for as well. Uh, you know, this this switch of play to a more possessive style while they have this number nine up front there, um, you know, who's an absolute monster. I don't think it seems silly when he's, you know, top, top goal scorer, but I still don't think they've managed to find a way to accommodate the rest of their team and their style of play and himself. So I think that's the major question to do with City, really. Can he find a way to operate and get the best out of the personnel he has already? Will Rodri, you know, miss any more game time this season? He's still not figured out a way to compensate for that as well. I think those are the big question marks for City. For Arsenal, as Jamie said there, they seem to be... You know, I think a lot of people are giving them credit for their defensive record, but we've got a better defensive record than them at the minute, you know, and I don't consider ourselves a very strong defensive team this season. So, you know, overall, I don't think they're as good as as they are. Their points tally at this stage of the season is less than it was last season, despite adding, you know, already shooing for player of the year, Declan Rice, apparently. So I I think... I don't think signings are, are, are what's missing from this title race. I think it's for all three teams. Whoever can put together a good run of form, that, that's what's, that's what's going to make the difference. And I think for us, that will have a huge uh, bearing on injuries. They'll have a huge bearing on how we're approaching the FA Cup, for example. It'll be really interesting to see what type of 
team we put out on Sunday. Um, you know, and I think it'll come down a lot to luck. How we fare without Salah, how we fare without Endo, Thiago coming back, things like that. But, you know, maybe I'm spoiling the, the transfer window episode, but I really don't think this title race is going to be dictated by ins and outs uh, for for any of these three teams, really. Yeah, I think it's, to kind of summarise, it is quite a unique situation at the moment. You know, I think this Liverpool squad vaguely doesn't feel complete but it's also very hard to kind of you know in, in previous years I mean last year obviously as Gakpo came in we would have said oh no just you know you need to bring a midfielder into that equation previous years there's been sort of one glaring area where someone could kind of slot straight in I don't think we really have that this time um, but I just do have this sense that I don't want to be looking back at the end of the season uh, a missed opportunity to be proactive when I think I do think that the money will be there if the player is there, if that makes sense, um, as opposed to the budget determining who Liverpool can go for. So, yeah, I would probably lean more towards that it will be won by existing personnel arguments. But I do think that Liverpool really have a chance to complete their squad um, for the remainder of the season. Um, easy for me to say that without maybe having a name to, to spring to <laughs> mind, but there is just this intangible sense that um, is not going to be a little bit. But anyway, we will see what happens in the next few weeks and obviously what the consequences of Liverpool's activity or lack of it this month prove to be. We'll leave it there for today's episode. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do give us a five-star rating. Remember to follow the podcast and turn notifications on for our episodes as well. We've got all our Twitter usernames and the podcast email address in the episode description, so make sure you look at those as well to get in touch with us. And as Rahul alluded to there, Liverpool's next game is against Arsenal in the FA Cup, so our next episode will naturally be a match reaction for that one. So make sure you join us for that. But until then, take care.